Alan, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's good morning for me and it's good afternoon for you. And so uh, to everybody around the world, uh, you know, it might even be good evening here. Uh, we, we have a lot to talk about, and uh, and one of them is the, the fact that you are the CTO of Adnoc. This is a new role for the company. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about what you really do? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Trent. So look, let me start off by saying Adnoc has a long and rich history in innovation. For almost five decades now, we've innovated up and down the value chain, from upstream to midstream to downstream. And today, uh, with the creation of the CTO, we're really looking to take that to the next level and really advance and uh, accelerate the importance of technology all the way across our value chain. And so it is truly an honor uh, to be the first CTO for Adnoc and to be able to carry the innovation flag for the company. And really what this signals is a new strategy, a new mandate in terms of the importance and the role of science, technology, digital and sustainability across the entire company. And that's a unique aspect for the CTO role within Adnoc in that my responsibility covers all three areas, innovation or R&D, digital, as well as sustainability. And we brought all of those together because obviously it's a very, very strong and embedded technology focus um, to allow us to achieve our long-term goals, whether they're our long-term production goals, efficiency goals, or our long-term sustainability goals as well. Well, and as I hear you talk, you know, these are all very, very popular words that we're hearing in the industry today, but they, they really all boil down to modernization. And, and so a lot of people that, that work in the industry, whether it's on the front lines in the field or uh, in the office, uh, for, the, for the last several years, they're still wondering what modernization means and, and what does it really specifically mean for a company's culture? I think, you know, for us, it means staying relevant. It means staying ahead of the curve. The world is changing, and uh, we all know that we're going through that now. Whether that's uh, you know the current pandemic situation that we're all having to work through and to navigate through, or whether it's the current oil and gas prices, the world is changing, and it will always change. And so, to me, really, the essence of modernization is ensuring that we're relevant—relevant relevant not only for today, but relevant long term into the future. And so, there's a couple of key elements that you need to ensure relevancy. Uh, for me, the first and foremost is culture. In order for the company to, uh, to maintain that leading edge on science and technology, you have to have innovation as part of the company culture. You have to be willing to take risks. You have to be patient and impatient at the same time. You have to have balanced investments from the short term to the long term. You have to set clear ambitions, targets, goals for what you expect that science and that technology to do for the company. Um, what do you expect in terms of revenue? What do you expect in terms of profit? What do you expect in terms of efficiency gains? And then start to bring together all of the different pieces to build that innovation ecosystem. So what elements around upstream and what new R&D technologies do we need, for example, around drilling? Or what technologies do we need from digital and artificial intelligence? What big data uh, opportunities exist? What machine learning, what machine visualization technologies exist? And importantly, how do we go deploy those effectively and efficiently across all of our assets? And really, it's that continual testing, uh, that continual updating, really, which embodies modernization and, again, ensures long-term resiliency. What's interesting, uh, you know, you brought up some um, you know, very salient points about the digital transformation that, that companies are going through. And, 
And as I as I listen to you talk, I hear a theme of, of future proofing. And so so one of the decisions for for people like you is what you know this is a fast moving um, you know especially in the digital side it's a fast moving world. Right. So how, you, you have to decide how, how do I marry myself to a product or a technology now when I think or you know there might be something coming up. Uh, 18 months from now. And so you have to make these uh, these critical buying decisions. And does the, the fast pace of, of that side of the business make uh, make it more difficult? I always look at, say, an innovation portfolio as, as investing, as a set of call options, if you will. And what I mean by that is you need to place multiple bets across your entire portfolio. So if we look to invest today, um, we wouldn't necessarily invest all of our portfolio as a, as a single investor in small caps or large caps or you know equities or north american funds or european funds or what we do is we balance across all of those different asset allocations to achieve the end result that we want and maybe that end result is a lot of security but the trade-off of course is very little gain or we're willing to take much more risk but the trade-off is much more volatility when we look at r d when i look at innovation i, I see it much the same way so today, yes, we need to make some strategic bets on those technologies that will allow us to navigate and overcome the current business challenges and the current macro environment. But we can't lose sight of the long game, so to speak. We need to continue to innovate. We need to continue to invest for the future. And so for me, it's about maintaining that balance, but equally about understanding how much we should invest in each bucket and when to stop projects, and this is always a challenge for R&D organizations and digital organizations alike, is when do we continue to fund? When do we stop? Um, so having that continual testing, uh, say, um, environment or that continual testing methodology embedded in your R&D portfolio is absolutely critical. So we're making the best decisions at the right time. It sounds like you have to put your venture capital hat on a little bit to think this way and to make these decisions. Want more insights from today's conversation? SPE publications cover all aspects of the upstream oil and gas industry, from technology and careers to production and operations. Learn more about our peer-reviewed journals, magazines, books, technical papers, and technical reports. It's all at spe.org slash publications. You know, collaboration is, is a growing theme in, in the upstream world. Uh, and this includes oil companies working together on projects um, and, and also people working with small companies. So, so how is uh, Adnoc doing that in the region? And you know, what, what is your view on working with startups? You kind of alluded that, you're, that you look at small vendors as well. Right, I, I would say partnerships and collaborations are a cornerstone of our company, of our culture, of our DNA, and ultimately of our success. You look back from the earliest days in Adnoc, we have always embraced partnerships and we've embraced uh, collaborators along the way as well. Whether these are partners that come in and help us from a production standpoint or today, partners and collaborators that help us innovate. So taking a couple examples, last year, for example, uh, we partnered with uh, Saudi Aramco and uh, Cambridge University and TWI to establish uh, the Non-Metallic Innovation Center out of Cambridge in the UK. This brought together two reputable oil companies. It brought together a world-class university. It brought together a world-class innovation center, all to solve some of the industry's most pressing challenges around corrosion and limiting corrosion and improving asset integrity. 
for oil and gas uh, materials. I, likewise, uh, we have partnerships that we've announced uh, last year as well around the digital and artificial intelligence area. We announced a joint venture with a leading AI company. We also announced uh, signing the world's largest predictive maintenance contract uh, across the oil and gas uh, industry, and we signed that with Honeywell last year. We signed uh, agreements on 3D, 4D, advanced seismic, as, as well as a number of other areas. So for us, partnerships are a true embodiment. And I think in order to be successful for innovation, whether that's the traditional areas of innovation or R&D or, or digital, we, we cannot solve all these problems alone, and nor can anyone. And that's where the partners come in. They bring a different perspective. They bring in different technologies. And they can bring in uh, early stage technologies in the case of universities or late stage technologies. They're some of the more mature partners. But ultimately, we need partnerships up and down uh, the different value chain elements, as well as the different technology readiness levels as well. Just staying on this, this idea of collaboration for one more minute, you know, and, and going back to what we were talking about, cultural change, does the, does the, uh, uh, the landscape of new digital innovation uh, force companies to come out of their, their comfort zone a little bit on what collaboration is traditionally meant? And so this is working with companies that uh, maybe have never really lived in the oil and gas ecosystem. Is that something that you're also uh, trying to grapple with? Yeah, when we look at digital, I think the first thing I would say is a lot of people talk about digital and they talk about it at a 40 or 50,000 foot view. In order for the discussion around digital and artificial intelligence to be meaningful, you really have to drill down into the details to understand exactly what is the challenge, what's the problem that we're trying to solve. And oftentimes in, in R&D, and whether this traditional R&D or digital, the most difficult question is actually framing the right question. Once you understand mm -hmm. exactly what you want to what you're trying to solve, the answer becomes relatively straightforward. It may not be easy to get the answer, but it becomes much easier to see the path to go from where you're at today to where you want to go. And we do the same thing on digital. So for example, when we start looking at predictive maintenance, we didn't launch uh, predictive maintenance across every single unit operation or process. Uh, that's an intractable problem. So what you have to do is you have to understand where can digital have the greatest impact to begin with? What are those unit operations? that predictive maintenance can come in today to really move the needle and also help the organization understand the value such that then we can continue to deploy it. And that's our philosophy, whether it's digital or whether it's R&D. And I think, you know, today, a lot of people and a lot of companies are realizing the impact of digital. And many of, many of them were forced into this, uh, into appreciation of digital, given the current pandemic situation. You know, whether it's working from home or re remote working, uh, getting access to data, insights, many companies realize that they weren't prepared for this type of situation. We, on the other hand, uh, have embraced digital for many years. And, you know, through our Panorama Digital Command Center, for example, we have access to real-time data, whether we're in the office or whether we're working remotely. And that enables good decision-making, good judgment anywhere around the world. So we were well-prepared for this type of situation, even though we couldn't forecast it. And I don't think anyone could have predicted anything like this had happened. But we've embraced digital for quite a while. Um, and we continue to embrace digital. And I think that's, again, coming back to one of my earlier comments, really what embodies uh, a, a resilient organization. And uh, I, would, I think uh, Adnoc is such an organization. I think we're very resilient. Um, you know, staying on this 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 same track here, um, Alan, 
you know, and since you brought it up about resiliency during the, the COVID-19 era that we're all living in, um, and that's the reason why I'm talking to you from my home office and I imagine you're at home. And, and uh, so does this current situation, does the price crash, does the, you know, the, the societal isolation, um, you know, how, I think you can make an argument either way that this could hurt um, uh, digital adoption because obviously it's hurting cash flow. Um, but then I'm hearing you make the argument that this is a reason to speed up the rate of adoption. Yeah, I would, I would certainly be in the latter camp. I think, you know, for us, we see the power of investing in digital and artificial intelligence coming to life today. Had we not done that over the past several years, we wouldn't be able to do the things that we do today. And so we're a, we're a living, breathing example of where you need to invest ahead of the curve, particularly around digital and artificial intelligence solutions. And all of these things are good for business long term. You know, for example, we've for a number of years, we've had a number of programs around process efficiency and production optimization. These are uh, things, these are capabilities that we needed not only five years ago, that we need today and that we'll need in another five years or another 10 years. These are things that pay dividend regardless of what the external markets throw at us or what the price of oil or natural gas is. You have to be as efficient and productive as possible, whether you're in oil and gas or whether you're in specialty products or, or whether you're in performance chemicals, making specialty goods, et cetera. These are cornerstones of doing good business. And uh, again, I think today it's really opening up the, uh, the eyes of many different companies, industries to show them what the power and capabilities digital and artificial intelligence can really have. And again, I think we're going to come out of this more resilient. I think we're going to come out of this stronger. And I think the entire industry and I think the entire world is going to come out looking slightly different. I wish I had a crystal ball to say what we're going to look like coming out of this. But uh, suffice to say, I don't think we're going to go back to the way things were. They will be slightly different. And I think we'll all wait and see how much difference there will be as, as we try to return to some sense of normalcy here over the next couple of months. And I'm wondering if you could give me a specific example of, of an area of technology that you think is being really impactful, especially right now during this, this moment where um, you're, you're maybe not able to send as many crews out to your assets. Um, you know, is it, is it remote monitoring or is it predictive maintenance? What, what is really filling a gap um, amid this current situation for you? So I, I would point to a couple of things, and there's probably a very long list of things that I could highlight. But I think, you know, first and foremost, it's having access to the remote data. So in a time where it's difficult to get out to the fields, to actually read monitors, to send people out there to, to, uh, to make physical tests or perform physical tests, we, through our Panorama Digital Command Center, have real-time data at our fingertips. This is data that is, that is updated second by second. Um, so we can track the performance of our assets all real-time. And by that way, we keep our people as safe as we possibly can as well. So we're not having to put them in harm's way whether that's with respect to a pandemic such as COVID or whether that's just keeping them safe by limiting their exposure in, in potentially hazardous environments. And, and so that's one aspect of it. I think you know, another aspect moving forward is really this whole concept of connected worker. To some degree, we're connected workers here today on, on this call. We're conducting this meeting virtually. We're both at home, we're conducting this. Uh, when we apply that same methodology in the industrial setting, we may have advanced tools. We may have you know, glasses that have 
say, cameras on them that we can then uh, send that image anywhere across our sites or to our control rooms. But we adopt that same technology. So we can, again, minimize the risk, minimize the exposure to our employees. They can go out there and feed back real-time visualization information on how that asset is performing. And then we can coach them through these various tools in order to take the right corrective actions to get that asset, to get that process, to get that pump, to get that compressor, et cetera, to do what exactly what it needs to do at the end of the day. Those are two real world examples that I think a lot of companies are deploying today in response to the pandemic, because quite honestly, they didn't have much of a choice, but I think they will realize will create tremendous value for them moving forward. Fortunately for Adnoc, we, we've been developing these technologies and implementing these technologies for quite a while. So we feel very comfortable um, you know, today using many of these technologies. But again, if you look across the industry as a whole, I think many different companies in the industry more broadly is will start to embrace more of these connected worker and um, uh, say remote sensing technologies as a way of working well past COVID. Yeah, I love the last example. The, the connected worker is, to me, as somebody who studies, uh, you know, the technology arena, is one of the lower hanging fruits for, you know, you centralize an expert and, you know, whether you know, you're going out and fixing a, a compressor. And, and we've seen time and time again, the companies that have adopted that, they, they've, they've reduced their maintenance times, their troubleshooting, uh, you know, spreads across the organization. And, uh, and so, yeah, I can imagine uh, how that would be a very useful technology under today's times. Much of the work of the Society of Petroleum Engineers is accomplished by members. Become a volunteer and use your knowledge and experience to influence SPE programs and activities. As a volunteer, you can enhance your leadership skills while meeting and working with other SPE members from across the globe. There are many opportunities to get involved, regardless of your experience, location, or experience level. To learn more about the League of Volunteers, visit spe.org volunteer. But let me switch gears for, for a minute here. With, with all this talk about technology, um, you know, we, we forget that last year's giant theme in the oil and gas industry was all about sustainability and uh, methane emissions and, and getting those under control. And, and so, uh, yeah, I wanted to, to talk to you about the, the climate issue and, and how does, uh, what's Adnoc's philosophy there um, and what are you guys actively doing? So sustainability for Adnoc has been at our core since our, our earliest days, since our founding. And this is something that the, the founding father of the UAE, uh, Sheikh Zayed, really instilled not only in the UAE, but in Adnoc. And we live and embody sustainability. And last year, uh, we uh, updated our sustainability strategy. And in January of this year, we launched our 2030 sustainability strategy. And around that sustainability strategy, we define a set of very ambitious targets, uh, targets that focus on climate change and environmental aspects, targets that also focus on biodiversity, uh, workforce, diversity, employment, um, as well as governance. So um, if you think of, whether you think of sustainability or you think of ESG or environment, social governance, our strategy encompasses all of those different areas. So for example, early, earlier this year, uh, we had announced that we will reduce our CO2 intensity by 25% uh, by year 2030, um, and we'll reduce our freshwater intake to less than 0.5% of the total water intake in Adnoc. These are very ambitious goals. Um, we, and the, one of the key reasons why 
sustainability reports into the CTO is, of course, these will require new technologies. Um, some technologies uh, that we can we can see today and that we can scale up and implement. Other technologies that are yet to be developed, but that we need to develop in order to be in order to uh, continue to be a sustainable company. And whether that's around CO two or or methane emissions, where uh, we, we are one of the world leaders uh, in, uh, in, in uh, low methane emissions and methane flaring, or looking across some of the other aspects, like I say, around workforce diversity and setting targets there. Sustainability, to me, is, is one of those things I often say is just it's good for business. Um, if we can do these things, we are a responsible producer, we're a sustainable producer, um, and we can build the confidence and trust across the different markets and across society. Well, well, on that thread, we have a question. Is solar and renewable energy, for example, keep utilizing new technologies to drive down cost, uh, and we do not uh, do so fast enough in the oil and gas world, we could be out of business sooner. Um, so should petroleum engineers uh, be concerned about this, this dynamic? I think, you know, anytime you, you consider the discussion around energy, um, at the end of the day, this, this does come down to cost. And whether that cost is, um, you know, dollars per kilowatt hour or dollars per kilogram of hydrogen or dollars per barrel or dollars per million uh, BTU, the numerator is always the same. It's always a dollar, a durham, a euro. Um, there's always a cost element there. And I think, you know, as we look to different technologies, whether it's solar or uh, whether it's uh, wind power, um, there's no denying that those technologies have made significant advancements in reducing the cost of, say, power energy production. At the end of the day, however, oil and gas is still the lowest cost producer for, for energy. Uh, and um, we've, we, we continue to innovate. We continue to uh, develop and launch um, optimization programs. And I think the entire industry needs to do this. But importantly, to also do so through that sustainability lens. We, we cannot forget how important that uh, maintaining uh, our focus on sustainability, reducing CO2 emissions, reducing water intake, are uh, how important those are just as much as the overall cost equation side of this as well. Right, right. So it's, it's about, you know, uh, addressing your footprint and, and you know, making doing all you can there and then, you know, acknowledging that you're going to live with this energy mix and and uh, not not, uh, you know, put, trying to put it on a, a hyperbolic scale, just understanding right. that that's going to be a that's the new Venn diagram of the world's energy consumption. Exactly. And, and, you know, again, another way to think about this is, you know, the difference between the art of practical and the art of possible. Um, you know, we have to focus, you know, as an industry, as a society, on what's practical today. There are many technologies out there that are possible, um, but are not ready for broad deployment or are not ready to be scaled. That doesn't mean that, that there aren't niches or some markets in which these technologies uh, shouldn't be de developed or deployed. And we're seeing that today in a number of technologies. That's actually good for the business. But there's not one single solution uh, when it comes to energy or when it comes to fuel, that's going to solve absolutely everything. It will be a mix of different technologies moving forward, depending on the application and depending on the end use. I got another question. This one um, is uh, takes us a little bit back to uh, the digital technology, but is Adnock bullish um, on technology and innovation around data analytics to drive down the technical cost of producing each barrel? Um, so, so maybe here, this is not as much about operations as it is about the uh, 
the the exploration side. And so, you know, could you comment a little bit about that? That. Yeah, when we look at say the, the digital landscape, we we again we come back to upstream, midstream, and downstream. So we'll look at the upst- upstream production side of it and understand how advanced analytics, how uh, predictive capabilities, cognitive analysis, for example, can help us produce more efficiently to help us increase the amount of oil that we produce per well, increase the ultimate recovery factor, for example, reduce drilling costs. We do that right alongside with optimizing our downstream assets, for example, to understand how we can improve efficiency and how we can end-to-end maximize the value of every single molecule that we produce all the way from our reservoirs into our downstream and our refined products. So again, we use advanced analytics, we use AI up and down the entire value chain to maximize the value um, from reservoir all the way through into our finished goods. Can I, let me just piggyback on that. Can, is being an integrated um, company, is that, does that give you uh more vision? Uh, is it, does it make this job easier than if you were just, say, a pure upstream player as we have in the United States? Well, I think what it, what it does is we have full end-to-end visibility, right? So, uh, And we have all of our assets that are, of course, located, located here within the UAE. So that provides a very unique advantage to us. We get full end-to-end accounting, again, all the way from our reservoirs and our fields, all the way through our refined products. And through our Panorama Digital Command Center, we can make real-time decisions on how best to uh, operate our full value chain, how best to operate our end-to-end assets. The other aspect, of course, you know, with Panorama uh, Digital Command Center is we can use that to essentially create a digital twin of our assets. And then we can start to do scenario analysis, understand, okay, if we want to optimize a particular variable, you know, whether that's you know, uh, cost of production, or it could be uh, CO2, right? So minimizing CO2 emissions. We can do those different scenarios and understand what we would need to do to the asset um, in order to operate at that particular condition to maximize value. And likewise, we can also do that uh, scenario analysis to understand where there may be potential bottlenecks. And in that way then, we can go deploy our R&D innovation engine to go develop new technologies to solve uh, those specific bottlenecks. Are you considering becoming an SPE member? When you join SPE, you join a society of dedicated professionals just like you, working to address the technical challenges of the global oil and gas industry. SPE membership gives you the opportunity to make local and global connections and build a network of influential technical leaders from every discipline. Learn more at spe.org join. Well, Alan, I got one more question and then I think we'll wrap it up. But um, let, let's see if you can tackle this one, okay? So what degree do you view business model or, or team structure innovation as part of the future operational um, innovation? So example would be, uh, be you know, having your, your staff become more entrepreneurial instead of process driven. We've seen this in some companies, uh, the scrum teams, you know, the you know, develop an MVP, the, these kind of uh, Silicon Valley um, colloquialisms are, are moving into oil and gas. So what do you see there? I, I think this is a, this is a great question, you know. And and today it's it's often cliche to say you know the people are the most important factor, but that is absolutely the truth. You know, we can set you know as as leaders as a CTO, I can come in and I can set the innovation strategy, I can set the sustainability strategy, I can set the digital strategy. 
But without the right people, none of that is going to happen. None of it is going to come to life. And that comes back to that culture dynamic. Um, we, we, need the, we need the people to really embrace and embody these different strategies and these different aspects and really live it and challenge the status quo. Um, you know, go after things, take some risks, but do so informed, right? Risks isn't, you know, taking risks isn't necessarily being callous about what we do, but it's about taking those chances to say, actually, I think there's something here. I think we should study it. Um, and then putting the kind of the guidelines in place or signposts, as I often say, to say, you know what, we're going to study it until we get to this point. But if we get to this point and it says yes, well, then we'll continue. But if it says no, well, then we're going to stop. So it's also about having that discipline. But I think, you know, having that business model, having that spirit, that entrepreneurial spirit is absolutely key, um, especially as you look to some of the more radical or longer term innovation, because without it, you're really left with incremental innovation and, you know, you're moving month over month or week over week and you're not going to be in it for the long game. And uh, again, that's where that business model innovation really comes in. It's setting up resiliency. It's setting you up for the long term game. Well, Alan, uh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, you are you're, you're taking a risk by coming on this this live broadcast <laughs> with us. You're, you're living through uh, a digital transformation experiment here at the SPE. And we really, really thank you for your insights and your time. Um, but for now, Alan, we'll let you get back to your what sounds like a, you know, a very busy job. And uh, so I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Trent. It was, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you all. Cheers. Cheers.